Thank you, Wesley Choir, for, for waking us up. We appreciate that. <laughs> that was terrific. Our scripture lesson for today is from Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 47. I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. That one is like a man building a house who dug deeply and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood arose, the river burst against that house but could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the river burst against it, immediately it fell, and great was the ruin of that house. This is the word of God for the people of God. Good morning. Uh, it is good to be in worship with you this morning. My name is Andrew Chapel. I'm the associate pastor here at Noonan First United Methodist Church. And today is Confirmation Sunday. And I have served as our confirmation coordinator, teacher, whatever, as uh, through this year and have gotten to know uh, 10 confirmands this year, two of which will be confirmed uh, next week. But we've got eight right here and friends and church. I am so excited, so proud of of our confirmation students. Uh, they are awesome, they're curious, they're funny, they like to argue over what containers to hold water in, whatever that fight we had was that day. Um, and they have really, really good questions. I think sometimes as adults, maybe we put away curiosities and questions, but there's something about the questions we are able to tackle and discuss and the things we are able to talk about that was very special. So confirmands, I'm so excited for you today. Uh, in a few moments, we will do what we practiced last night uh, when we had dinner. We will do the confirmation service. But before then, I want to share, uh, I've written a few things that I want to share with just you guys. Um, and then we'll get about our business. Uh, and before that, FYI, uh, Tuesday, just for everybody's awareness, Tuesday, Adair and I are headed to Israel. Um, if you try to get a hold of me, you won't <laughs> for a while. Um, we're spending some nights in Galilee and some nights in Jerusalem, and uh, Adair has never been. I'm really excited for her to see it. I have uh, been, and this is my second time going over there. Uh, if you've never been uh, to Israel or any places like it, um, then I highly encourage one day for you to, to take that trip. If you have been, then you know that it carries a lot in common with those big long family vacations, the kind that you go, like you pack up the whole car and go to DC for a week to try and hit all the Smithsonian's in a day and then who knows, but it's one of those big trips like New York or London. Every day is packed so full of stuff and you're trying to take it all in. So one day you might go to Bethlehem and see the church in the nativity, the place where Jesus was born and go to Caesarea Maritima and to the tomb of the resurrection all before lunch. And so you're going so much. Uh, you're trying to take it all in, and, and I really, you don't really, I don't know, begin to process it until much later. Um, and I feel sim similarly, guys, about confirmation. We've had to go through so much, so quickly, trying to fit uh, centuries of information and uh, important biblical facts and, and tradition and Methodism all into the year that we've been together, less than a year that we've been together. Uh, and it's only really in a year or two or five or 10 or 20 or however long that sometimes you really begin to understand some of the commitments and covenants we're going to talk about today. Today is a big day 
but something I've only recently learned from my confirmation experience when I was in sixth grade is that every day is a big day. Uh, every day becomes a day to see Jesus and inter interact with him in a way maybe you haven't before. So, confirmands, today is a big day for you. It is a step in a life toward Jesus. And traditionally, my job, if you guys have ever been to confirmation before, you'll know that the job of the pastor traditionally on this big day is to talk about what this means, uh, to sum it up. My job is to share with you this decision, this covenant that you're about to make and what it means. Uh, my job is to kind of help us all understand this day in a distinct way, in a Wesleyan way, because we are Methodists and there are some things unique about uh, Methodist confirmation. My task today, as in most days, is kind of to focus on that scripture Charles just read and talk to you about what it means to you. Try to make it relevant to you. Try to share what it might look like to build your house, to build your life upon the words of Jesus. And maybe make that metaphor, make that story, uh, demonstrate maybe what the rains and floods you might face would look like in the 21st century and beyond. I think I'm also tasked with trying to tell you what it looks like to practice a life following Jesus. Uh, and when the hard times come, and they will come, your house your life hopefully will stay strong and be built well. So confirmands, Jesus says that the hearing and practicing of these words, and what he's talking about is chapters five through seven, is what strengthens the foundation, the home that you've been building. So how do you build your house on solid ground? I'm glad you asked, confirmands. You do the will of God. You don't judge somebody for a tiny thing when you've got your own pretty big issues. You don't worry about your life. You pray for forgiveness and you forgive others. You practice your religious duties in private, anonymous ways. You actively love people and even people who seek to do you harm. You practice generosity and kindness. You don't practice anger. Things like that. Continued action and turning your face toward Jesus. Um, but confirmants, I have to confess that in some ways I kind of feel like a fraud <laughs> up here trying to teach you how to build your house on solid ground because if I'm honest, Sometimes when I think about it, I don't think I've done a great job of following Jesus. And perhaps I'm supposed to be good at it because I wear a stole and a robe and I went to school for it. But honestly, I'm just as human as all of us. And at the end of the day, I feel like I've done a better job sometimes of, of following my own will, of not following God's will. I've judged people for tiny things, all the while failing to admit my own kind of failures. And I once heard somebody say, judging a person doesn't define who they are, defines who you are. I've spent a lot of time worrying about my life, the things that are out of my control. And it doesn't make sense because when you worry, you suffer twice. I have not forgiven people well or shown mercy. I've, I've kind of been showy in my religion and maybe that just comes with my job title. I've not loved people that I've found hard to love sometimes. And I've, I've had an angry spirit occasionally, not very generous. So Confirmands, if I'm honest with you and I look back at my life, I can tell you that it feels like my house sometimes, my life has needed a little or a lot of work done on it. And truth be told, confirmands, my house has been knocked down a few times. <laughs> Truly. The storms and hardship have come and they've wiped out my house completely. Through tragedy or sadness or struggle or even death, things have occurred that really have kind of leveled my house. <laughs> And I know what Jesus says. I know what I've been told my whole life. Build your house on the solid ground, not on sand. 
And I know that I feel like I'm rewriting this metaphor a little bit, but throughout my life, it feels like my house has been flattened a few times. But this is what I want to say to you this morning. Maybe that's the point. Perhaps the point is not that the house can get knocked down. (laughs) Perhaps the point is that your house will get knocked down. A life of faith is hard and filled with difficulties. But the larger point, I think, is that your house can be rebuilt. Maybe the point is that you can surround yourself with community that really can help you rebuild the house. Maybe building your house on the words of Jesus gives you greater chance at rebuilding, at redeeming, at resurrection. After all, that's the point of it, isn't it? One of them, that death and destruction aren't the end. That though the house may lose its foundation or, or may get hit by a storm pretty hard, may even fall, it's not the end. And that's what I want to say to you this morning. Uh, that this is a, a big step, but it is a step in a continued direction. And sometimes the house gets knocked down. But you are surrounded by people in here uh, who have made covenant time and time again to help you rebuild the house, to keep you going. And it reminds me of a movie that we have been watching and can't stop watching uh, called Encanto. Encanto. <laughs> and if you've seen it, then you know who we don't talk about. There it is. Now, if you haven't seen the movie, I want to tell you a quick summary. It's about a family that has special powers. And their special powers uh, come because of their house, because of uh, a loving sacrifice made generations prior. They have these beautiful gifts. And through their giftedness, each individual in the family helps their village, helps their village prosper. They assist in sharing their talents, and they serve this community and the people that are a part of it. But at some point, what happens to the house? starts to crack. The foundation begins to fail. And the once thriving and living home begins crumbling. Why? Because there's some dishonesty. There's fear. There's distrust. There's some certain things that we don't talk about, like Bruno. But then also some things happen that Jesus taught us not to build our foundations on. And near the end of the movie, the home that has given them so much, what happens to it? It it breaks. The fear and dishonesty and distrust have brought the house down, and there is deep despair. But then, all of a sudden, because of some things that happen, and there's this renewed trust, and because of the care and courage that is renewed, the whole town, the same town that had been blessed by the gifts of this family, that had just lost their house, the whole town comes to the aid of this family and helps them rebuild everything that they lost. They build it back stronger. Their house had come down by their own doing, even. And yet, at the end of the movie, we realize they're not alone. And in the midst of the storm, rebuilding and resurrection become ultimately and absolutely possible. So, Confirmants, today you are making commitments and covenants with the church and with God to share your gifts with the world in the name of grace and goodness and love and joy and Jesus. You're making covenants and commitments with a church who is promising right back to care for you with prayer and joy and love and mercy. And throughout this life, there are probably going to be times that you feel like the life you'd built or the house or the floorboards or the walls might come crumbling down. But today, as you make a promise, we promise to be the ones to help you build it back. We promise to never let you feel alone, to care for you in a way 
that doesn't hurt you. And we promise to surround you when you need it most and to love you in the best way that we can. So I'm sure that some of you see my stole today. It's different than usual. It's a little shorter than usual too. Um, we, our confirmation students have made their own stoles, which is a tradition, I believe, in a lot of confirmation classes. They're going to uh, have their stoles in a moment when they become confirmed, but I wanted to talk a little bit about it. Uh, they've got trees or plants that symbolize the growth of faith. They've got names on their stoles of people and family that are important to them, uh, symbols that are important to them, then scripture. One scripture that I told them all they had to write, <laughs> and one, some scripture that is important to them, as well as religious symbols that mean a lot. Now, the stole has varying, varying traditions, and we talked about this last week, guys. Uh, it is a symbol of the yoke. Charles explained it last week, that the yoke is traditionally used in load-bearing and, and makes it so that a pair of animals can pull a heavy load together and pull it at the same time. Rabbis of Jesus' day and later used the idea of a yoke as a symbol of service. So they believed that people should be free from servitude to humanity in order to be yoked to God. And so one rabbi said, whoever takes upon himself the yoke of scripture, they remove from him the yoke of government and the yoke of worldly concerns. The yoke is no joke. Um, gosh, that was bad. Uh, sometimes a, yoke, a rabbi's yoke was pretty tough. To serve God through all these commandments, 600 mosaic laws and then books and books and books and books of laws. But then in Matthew 11, this guy named Jesus comes around and he says, Come to me, all you who are struggling and carrying heavy loads, put on my yoke and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble and you will find rest for yourselves. My yoke is easy to bear and my burden is light. What is Jesus saying? My yoke, my teaching, my interpretation of the law isn't complicated. It's not difficult to understand. In fact, it makes things pretty simple. And he says, when you put on my yoke, all your decisions are made for you. <laughs> Paul says that when you put on that yoke, you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. So comrades, in a few moments when a stole is placed around your neck, after you have been blessed and confirmed, it is no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. You no longer have to make decisions according to the logic of the world, but according to the reason of God. At your baptism, God proclaimed God's love for you. But today, when confirming your own faith, you claim that love and take on a life of loving God back. And God makes it simple. Not necessarily easy, but simple. <laughs> so I want to tell you two things, and then we'll be done. There's a really smart guy named Karl Barth, who's a theologian in the 1900s. Uh, very, very, very smart man. Read the Bible thousands of times. Knew languages, knew all of this stuff. And people always wanted to learn from Karl. Karl, that feels weird. Dr. Bart. Um, so he was teaching at University of Chicago one day, and a bunch of really smart people and theologians and pastors and students came up to him and said, Dr. Bart, what is the most profound truth you have learned in all of your studies? And he didn't pause. He just said this, Jesus loves me, this I know. This is the second story I want to tell you. A priest was walking in town one day and saw an old peasant kneeling by the side of the road praying, and the priest was new in town, and he was impressed, and so he said to the man, you must be very close to God. And the peasant looked up from his prayers, thought a moment, and then he smiled. And he replied, yes, God is very fond of me. <laughs> it's so simple. And that is one reason why you have written on the neck of your stole that you'll put on in a moment your singular identity loved by God. 
That has always been your primary identity, but today you own it. <laughs> and if you ever doubt you are loved by God, I invite you to turn in your Bibles and examine the kind of people that God loves. <laughs> First Peter 2.9 is written right here on your stoles. This is what it says. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who are God's own possession. You have become this people so that you may speak of the wonderful acts of the one who called you out of darkness into his amazing light. So confirmands, if you hear nothing else today, you become a part of that royal priesthood. You become yoked to God. And this has occurred so that you might speak and share and act in a way that points to the light of God in the darkness. And being a part of that priesthood, it also means that you are yoked to everybody in here. <laughs> You're a yoke, everybody's in on it too. To the names you've written on your stoles, to all the followers of Jesus, you are yoked together. And ultimately, we're yoked together because sometimes the waters rise and sometimes the storms come and the winds blow against our walls, our foundations, our lives, and occasionally our house might get knocked down, but you are yoked to a whole church of people who have made and will make a covenant with you again that when your house gets knocked down, you will never have to rebuild alone. Resurrection, it's a, it's a community thing. We're all in this together. And at the very least, this is the last thing I'll say, if you forget everything else you have learned this year, remember this, you are surrounded by a people who believe in a simple and profound truth, Jesus loves me, this I know. Let us pray. Gracious God, as we enter into a time of making covenant with you and, and renewing covenant with you, God, we pray a special blessing over these students, over these confirmation students, their families, their friends, and over this congregation, God, that you would allow us to live in such a way that we are able to surround with love and joy and peace and discernment these students who are making a commitment and a covenant to you. God, may we be the kind of people that help each other rebuild when we need it. In Jesus' name, amen.